Hey, She Slays listeners. Before we get into the episode, I want to tell you about one of our sponsors, the Focus Academy. So you know chiropractic can help kids, but you lack confidence in your knowledge or communication skills to educate parents in your community. I've got a solution for you. The Focus Academy gives you the training and education to understand the why behind those wins and challenges you're seeing in clinic. They teach you how to perform a full brain-based exam, how to go beyond just the subluxation, but stay principled in your chiropractic approach and address and understand the consequences on brain development. They take a two-pronged approach. First, clinical solutions taught in a way that gives you full access to a deeper and more comprehensive understanding and breaks those techniques and approaches down into digestible and practical steps. Second, right now strategies you can employ wherever you are in your training. You'll learn how to seamlessly ask and answer the big questions in your clinical exams and re-exams and have it actually inform the whole child approach and care planning in a way your patients will understand. And since you're a She Slays listener, you'll get free access to the Focus Academy's Kickstart program. Just click the link in the show notes to get started on your journey to improving your practice. And thanks for listening to the She Slays the Day podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Brunswick. Who the heck else would be introducing an episode except for me? That'd be weird. Um, so today, I'm a little excited about this interview that I got to do. Um, so we have Britt Barron on. For those that have never heard of this very, very cool woman, you should um, run and grab her book that just released this week called Worth It. Um, so background on how we got to do this interview, because she's kind of a big deal. Kirby and I were at an Amy Porterfield conference last October, and um, I didn't know who she was, but she was like the MC for the event. And she's really funny. And Kirby loves himself some stand-up comedy, so he appreciates um, anybody standing on a stage and telling jokes. And so he was he was smitten with her right from the get-go. And um, she started sharing a little bit of her story, just kind of in her MC work. And we liked her a lot. And I was we were actually with uh, Dr. Christy Wick and her husband. And I was like, "Who is this chick?" And Christy's like. This is this is Beans. You haven't you don't know who Beans is? I'm like, no, no. Who? And she's like, oh, she's like Rachel Hollis's best friend. She's like, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, huh, never, never heard of her. So after the conference, which was awesome, um, we were kind of hanging out at the conference center, like around a patio. And we saw Beans and her girlfriend sitting and waiting for food by the campfire or like by one of the little fires on the patio. And I said to Kirby, I was like, there she is. Let's go talk to her. And Kirby's like, no, we should leave her alone because he's a nine and he believes in not disturbing other people's harmony. And I'm a three and threes see cool people and go, um, I want to be friends with them. Let's go talk to them. So anyway, so we totally crashed their conversation and ended up talking to him for like an hour um, we talked about spirituality. We talked about the Eau Claire's Festival, which is a festival here in Wisconsin um, by Grammy artist Bon Iver. Like just so many cool things. And so then when a couple months later we saw that she had a book coming out, well, she was actually talking to us about the book that night. Um, so then as it got closer to her book release, we just reached out and said, would you come on our podcast, please? And she said yes. Um, 
So yeah, so there you go. Now you know everything about the background, how I am that cool that I got somebody so cool on the podcast. So anyways, um, check out her book, Worth It. It just released this past week. You can get it where all people get books, um, but it is a story about overcoming fear. She'll talk in the interview about her very unique story. Um, So basically, she spent the first part of her life in like a mega evangelical church. And she became a pastor there um, really young, only at 26. And these are her words. She said she peaked too soon. (laughs) Um, So after peaking too soon, she started to understand more about herself and her dreams and her sexuality. So she met a woman named Sammy that changed and saved and transformed her whole life, like both of them. So meeting Sammy, um, leaving the church, coming out and getting married has given Britt a deep seated passion for reminding people that choosing freedom is always worth it, no matter the cost. So I just, again, her story is so cool. She's so down to earth and I think you're going to love her. Um, before we jump in, I don't need to pray because she's a pastor. I made her pray. Wasn't that, wasn't that nice of me to have a big deal guest on and then be like, um, we pray before we podcast. So no, she did a great job. So I'm not going to pray, but before we jump in, I will read you, um, a little listener highlight here. So this one comes from. H.J. Burhans, and it says, I'm currently listening to the seven steps of ego right now. All your episodes are amazing, but that one was a much needed listen today. So if you haven't gone back and listened to that one, um, that that was a fun one for me. You know, as I, you know, thanks for sending me that H.J. Burhans, by the way. Um, I appreciate you guys's messages and stuff. Like I said, when I'm having like a bum day and patients are pissing me off, you know, it's nice to just go on Instagram and I'm like, oh, there's a little DM and it's just somebody nice. And it's, it's so helpful. So I appreciate them. Um, But no, I really liked doing that episode. Also, I find that I am really finding my voice and platform that I like talking on where I feel like I can be extra vulnerable with you guys. And I have never, I've never tried to hide that ego is something that I've had to work to overcome um, a lot of and it is so much better on the other side of ego. So yeah, that was a great episode. So if you haven't listened to that one, I highly encourage going and listening to that one um, because I liked it. So without further ado, uh, here is my interview with an amazing book author and pastor, uh, Britt Barron. Okay, well, everyone, um, you listened to the intro, so you know I'm a tiny bit excited about today's guest. Um, I would love to say that I got all my fangirling over with, but I didn't. Um, so you might. Ah! <laughs> Sorry. Uh, but today we have Britt Barron on the show. Welcome, Britt. Yes. Hello. Hello. Excited to be here. Um, so before we really jump into your book and all the topics surrounding that, um, I would love if you would, since you're a pastor, open us, um, instead of me praying, I would love if you would be willing to just say a little prayer over the episode. That would be great. Amazing. This is going to be uh, just a little prayer. We'll probably go 30 or 40 minutes. Um, just kidding. <laughs> uh, 
God, thank you so much that we don't have to invite you anywhere, um, but that you are everywhere and always. And that means in this conversation with us right now, that means with everyone who is listening. Uh, and so just remind us of that. Remind us of that presence and remind us of opportunities to still ourselves and to reconnect. We love you. Amen. Ah, thank you. Um, that, so I started praying before episodes with our very first episode because I am such a like, I don't spend too much time making sure that questions or things I'm about to say are eloquent, but my heart is so good. And so it's uh-huh. always like this, like, please, God, help people yeah. to interpret <laughs> this mouth. That <laughs> and this, help people know I have a good heart. Yes, God, help, help this podcast. Help, help. <laughs> help, Jesus. Okay, so, Britt, um, you have written a book. I wrote a book. So you're an Enneagram 7. I am, yes. Did you get tricked into the idea of writing a book because it sounded fun? <laughs> um, uh, yes. And, okay, so are you, you're an Enneagram 7? I'm a 3. But, like, you're three. Of I course. strongly identify as a 7. Yeah. Um, yeah. So There's I, a lot of overlap. Mm-hmm. Well, not really from seven to three, but from three to seven. Well, um, you get like enticed by the dangly carrot of like, what next? Yes, yes, and, totally. And the like, I don't really want to have feelings. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, like, let's just keep it moving. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so actually, I have wanted to write a book since I was probably like 15 or 16. Really? And... I've wanted to be a writer and, and there is something, you know, I've since come to learn more about myself. And so what I want to be like has shifted. Um, but yeah, I just like always admired people who were writers and they would go away for like three months and come back with like, you know, the oh, God had placed the work in the world. Yeah. yeah like, like this is my life's work. Yeah. This is it. This is it. And I probably, not with a publisher or, or anything like that. This this um, book came out of a very different set of circumstances. Mm-hmm. But previous to that, I had probably started and tried to write like four or five books. Like just like on my own, been like, mm-hmm. I'm going to write. But I obviously never finished them because A, there was no deadline, no incentive. And that's an Enneagram 7. Yep. I need draft. that deadline. Yeah. I need that push. Yeah. I need someone being like, if you don't, do this you you have to give me that money back yeah we'll sue you or something yeah I'm yeah. like okay it'll be done yeah um so yeah I I definitely it's it's been something I've wanted to do forever and I I can't believe just two days ago the author copies got to my house maybe it was I yesterday I don't remember and um it's crazy like I all day yesterday I just was like carrying it around like making breakfast it was like under my arm <laughs> like it's so it's so exciting I did this, so, yeah. I did this yeah. thing like this is mine this, that's me that's amazing yeah. okay so you said you had started four or five books um so mm-hmm. walk us up through like your journey like who you are and how you came to writing and being inspired to finish this book yeah yeah I mean well if I'm being honest I feel like 
the the four or five books that I started and stopped looking back I'm like I'm not gonna say I didn't have anything to say or I didn't have a story to tell but I certainly didn't know myself well enough to to get to the bottom of of any critical point if that makes sense Mm -hmm. um and so that ties into a large part of my journey and, and what this book is a little bit about which is so I grew up in the evangelical church in the 90s like at its peak you know and my dad was uh, both my parents were in ministry and uh that just was what our life was about and there are a lot of truly phenomenal and incredible experiences I've had because of that um and then there were some really sort of painful and hard things about that so I went through uh church as a kid high school, you know, and then went to a Christian college. So like just really committed. I was like, I'm doing this, but I'm going to do it. I'm going all the way. And any Enneagram seven in a evangelical context, people say like, you're called to be a pastor <laughs> because you're just like, like to talk and you can. And then people, you know, you have like a little yep. bit of a personality and someone's like, you are called to be a pastor. Yep. <laughs> this sounds fun. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, okay. Um, so then I was an RD at a Christian college after that. And then um, left and, and had the opportunity to go and be a pastor at this mega church in um, near where we live now, actually. And it was such a fascinating thing because I was 26 years old at the time. And I was like, I have arrived. Like I literally have peaked this context that I grew up in. Like the, the, the highest goal you can achieve is like mega church pastor. Mm -hmm. So I was like, wow, at the ripe age of 26, God saw God. fit to give me just, I'm just here. Like, what do I, I should write a next? book about this? <laughs> yes. What am I going to be the pastor on I've Mars? Like, I just have like, yeah. So, um, it was in my first year at that job, actually, that I met my now wife and I, I met her and, um, I was like, wow. Like, I mean, we have, we had a four hour coffee date and I left and I was like, that's my new best friend. Like for sure, that's my best friend in the entire world. I just met her. We're going to be friends forever. And we developed this very close friendship very, very quickly. And then realized like, oh my God, I'm in love with this person. (laughs) And that does not go with my plan. And that is definitely going to mess up this entire situation. And so now you had no idea or like up until that point that you might be gay. You know, well, hindsight is twenty twenty. Hindsight, yeah. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Like, looking back, I'm like, oh, God. Yes, the Birkenstocks, the field hockey <laughs> It was all there. Um, but, and, you know, working this out with my therapist for years, but there was, and I always joke that that church was the best place to be closeted because I would say, like, I don't even feel tempted to have sex with my boyfriends. And then people would say like, Oh my gosh, great job. Like, Mm -hmm. and I literally for a while thought like, am I just so holy that I don't even want that? Like, yeah. Like God has just blessed me with this willpower. (laughs) And, and that's, you know, like, like, uh, duh, you know, um, 
And was this experience the same for Sammy? Like when you two met that like up until then she really hadn't even thought that. Yeah. So we were, we were both sort of each other's like first, which is like such a special thing to me. I, I always say it's in the dedication of my book. It, she was the mirror I needed to, to see myself. And she just opened up something in me that, I mean, I, I, I'll be eternally grateful for. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, yeah, so we've been on, we've been on a journey. And so the, well, yeah, you have this like, oh shit, we love each yeah. other. <laughs> what? Now what? Yeah. So, and, and if you can, I mean, you can't imagine, right? Cause you know, this world that is, it wasn't just my job. It was identity. my friends, my identity, people like family. It was my, my career path. It was my, my calling. It had all, all of these things was tied into the reality of like, if this is true about me, then all of those things that I know would no longer be true about me. And I don't know if I am a strong enough person to actually like experience that. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of things in my life had felt buffered in a way that the, the church had always provided this, like almost like a bounty house. Like you, you know, there's always some kind of support system or net or that, that security and that comfort of those beliefs and ideals and that sense of belonging. And I, I literally collapsed at like the idea of, of living life and, and wondering what it would be like without that. And not only not having that, but having the opposite now, like having that same support system sort of say like, you are, you're wrong. You're not, you know, you're bad. Like this is not what's going to happen. And I, I struggled like, <laughs> poor Sammy like she's such a badass and like honestly she was like I love you and like if they don't like it like I, it was so quick for her like she she just like came into herself so so quickly in our journey and I I just was like I mean gripping the closet with like white knuckles like well that's you know. where I mean <clears throat> looking back if it would have been easy if you would have just because I'm you know I don't have your book yet because you just got your book um but (laughs) awaiting it in the mail and so like looking the book is about overcoming fear yeah right so like if it had been just like quick and I feel like we're both kind of this is such a three and seven thing to like, mm-hmm. just kind of like minimize Sammy. Like, oh, it was easy for her. Like, <laughs> she's yeah, yeah, I know, like I know, okay, I it wasn't easy. Time out, guys. I know. Um, she's like, <laughs> she's like, that was really hard. It was just faster than you. So I'm like, she didn't even think twice. <laughs> no, she was just easy. Um, oh, that's so real. If it wouldn't, if it would have been, air quotes, as easy for you, there probably wouldn't have been the piece of art that you created right like in this book yeah you know there's not much story or depth to overcoming fear if you didn't have to process that and be afraid for a long time you know there's not a book yeah "Yeah, it was kind of scary but then I just did it (laughs) like yeah it's four pages um, yeah (laughs) hope you love my book and that's so true And, and to be honest I think that's why I had started like five books before and couldn't finish them because I didn't have that. I wasn't in touch with those experiences in my life. Right. I, I had very, 
I did a very seven thing. Not that nothing had been hard in my life up until that point, but I had very Enneagram seven did of like, Oh, that was hard, but it was fine. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, and this definitely pushed all of those boundaries. And the, the, the thing that eventually led to, to me writing about it in in the way I, I um, hope I wrote about it is that when we, I mean, so yeah, lots of things in between. That's like a, a three-year journey right there, but we finally got to this place and, and we came out and we came out, you know, coming out is such a <clears throat> funny thing. Cause it's like, make a list of people. Like I literally had a list. I still have it. I kept it. And it was like, who I want to tell in person, people I can tell on the phone, text message, and then everyone else finds out on the internet. So it was like this, like layers. And so we had gotten to the place where everyone, we had told everyone on the internet. So now everyone knew. And some of the most supportive and, and touching messages that I got were from people who had been divorced or, um, like a, a pastor of our old church whose daughter got uh, pregnant when she was in high school. And they were, they were these, like, I was expecting myself to, to get these stories from other people who had come out and I did. And, and it was fantastic. But that's when I realized like, Oh my gosh, we're not the only people with a decision to make about what happens when your life takes you outside of the comfort of your own community. So when you make a decision, um, when, when you realize something is true about yourself, when you go after a goal, when you, whatever, and there are people in your life who that's not comfortable for, we're having a, a similar experience. And, and I, I think that's where I wanted the book to land was this idea of okay, it's really hard to live your entire life based on other people's expectations of you. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard to live a life that breaks through those expectations and is true to who you want to be. They're both hard, but one of them, right, is worth it. And and thinking through that and, and having conversations with people of like, oh my gosh, like this isn't just me. Mm-hmm. And it's not even just gay people from the church. It's like everyone who is who is hindering and halting their own identity and their own development and their own goals and dreams and hopes because they don't want to disrupt that, that circle that that's around them. Well, yeah, because I mean, I feel like unless you're a super woke 14 year old, um, I feel like you kind of just go on autopilot for, you know, the first kind of like 20 years of your talking and interacting with human life. And then a lot of times it isn't until your mid twenties where you like kind of just like, well, of course you go to college and of course you went to this college and then you did this mm-hmm. job. And, and then you're like, Oh shoot. Is, is this what like, there's like what I want. And like the, even the concept that society shaped who you were supposed to be yep. is like this big concept that like up until that you're like, no, 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 no I do me. And then it's like, oh, mm-hmm. no, there's like other influence. There is levels to this. And you don't even realize it. And, and you're right. Like our brains aren't even fully formed until 25. And it's like wild that, you know, when we want to shift or evolve or do these things, people sort of clam up and, and you're like, what? I'm just, I'm figuring it out in real time. You know, 
how was I supposed to have all the answers? Yeah. And I mean, it makes people so uncomfortable when they have to take you out of the box they've put you in. They hate it. People hate that. (laughs) Why do you think that is? Is it because, yeah, I'll just let you, why do you think that is? Why do we struggle with changing? Here's one thing I think. So I do think that it is terrifying when someone around you gets free in a way that you're not because mm-hmm. that forces you to now confront like your own self and we hate that right people don't like that so if if me and you are friends for 20 years and I'm like I can always count on you girl um to be with me in in this and okay I'll use a small example because this literally just happened um everyone is like drinking too much in quarantine yeah because we're in quarantine and so Sammy and I were like, should we do like a whole 30? Like, have you done we, it before? Yes, we've done it before okay. and we felt great. We've never done it in quarantine, obviously. <laughs> but we were like, maybe we do a whole 30 light. Like maybe we only drink on weekends. Like, I mean, we got, it's been like a whole thing. Cause at the end of the day, you're like, if I don't have to look forward to a cocktail, what am I looking forward to? What am I doing here? You know? Yeah. So anyways, we're our two best friends who we see all the time and they're the best. And we were like, um, we're going to do whole 30. We think we're going to like not drink this one. And their first response is like, like, right. Because it's like, we all know we've been drinking too much. And if we say we're going to take a break and that forces you to confront whether or not you feel like you've been drinking too much in quarantine and you don't want to deal with that, it would be easier if we all just kept doing what we were doing. Mm -hmm. So on a, on a small level, we understand it. And then, so when it gets to an even bigger level of like, I have built my whole life around these ideas. They have become comfortable, even if they're not working, even if I have those things in me that like I should confront, but I'm just pushing down when I see someone around me confront them, I want to stop them because that will reflect on me. Yeah. Right. And that's like, I always say it's, we cannot carry we cannot carry the weight of that no, because that you is can't not carry your other people's issue. Shit. Like that's, that's, that's your goats, your rodeo. And I can't carry that. And try as you might to put it on me. I can't. Right. Like I'm not gonna. Okay. So you write this book. Sounds amazing. Uh, I have a feeling that when you were writing this and planning what a book tour was going to look like, uh, 2020, you did not, I'm anticipating <laughs> you did not have insider knowledge that 2020 was going to happen. Oh um, gosh. Has there been, what's the like silver lining blessing that yeah. has come out of releasing a book in the middle of a pandemic? Well, I mean, first things first, more people are buying books than usual. Oh, um, I don't know if it's because they said I'm going to pretend to read more because I'm in quarantine or if people actually are, who knows. Right. Uh, But books have actually been doing well on a practical level. But I think the other thing is, and this is an Enneagram seven moment. I, I have had so many feelings. I've had so many feelings around releasing this book 
that I for sure would have busied myself out of if I could have. Mm-hmm. So right now, if I could have been prepping for, okay, book tour, we have these cities. Do we have the interviewers in each city? Do we have lights? What's it going to sound like? Do we have a guest speaker? Um, do we have all the pens? Do we have all the books? Are they getting there? Does the publisher know? Like I could do all of that and avoid like the moments where I really just sat and cried. Like I actually don't, don't know if I care. If, I, I hope people love this book and I hope it, it touches them. But I, I, I got to a place recently where I just cried and I was like, I'm just honored that I got to write it. And, and I feel so happy about that. And I would have never gotten there if I could have been busier. Yep. If you would have just busied yourself. Um, but you did pick up running in quarantine. I see. I did. I'm a runner. Okay. So, yep. So you're training for a half marathon or full? A half marathon. Okay. Um, So I only run half marathons. I don't do full. Um, everyone goes Thanks. like, oh, oh, just wait. When are you planning for the full? And I have never, ever been. There's this point at the half because most halves have a full also mm-hmm. where it's like you're at like mile 12.5 and there's a split because it's like, OK, half marathoners, the, the finish line is, is right there. Uh, hey, full marathoners, you're going to go. <laughs> You're halfway. There's no single point in my life that I've gone, you know, gosh, I just really wish I was turning right and going with just only at this point. I don't, I don't think I have it in me. I'm like 26. Like that's just so much, so much time. I don't know. I mean, God bless, God bless them. But running, why I asked about it is because I mean, it's just you and your thoughts. And um, that's probably been a really great place for it because you can't multitask. You can't busy yourself. And yeah. it's like, you have to, you process that stuff. I can't say how many times I've come back from a run and I'm like, I have an idea. Like, you know, because it's just clear slate. Literally. I mean, I have, I have been shocked at what is in my brain that I didn't give space to and and running has been phenomenal I'll, I'll try to challenge myself every not every run most runs I listen to music but like maybe one a week or something where I'm like just turn it off for at least half the run or something and just see what pops in your your brain and a lot of times music will help sort of spark some ideas but it has been it has been so great and you know there's been we're in quarantine <clears throat> and there's like the ever-present fear of getting sick mm-hmm. mixed with um, the ever present fear of like racist America. And so mixed with like emotions of a book. So it has been my, my saving, my saving grace truly. Yeah, I definitely hear that. Um, okay. So you touched on it. We are, so we're recording on July 3rd. Mm-hmm. And tomorrow's the 4th of July. And because I stalk you, um, mm-hmm. I saw that. So, okay. So what I'm asking here is I see, I saw that you have been celebrating Juneteenth for years, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So first of all, such, such a stupid or not stupid. I won't try and judge myself. Um, such a like late to the party white girl moment of like, uh-huh. I thought this was like a new holiday. I didn't know this oh, yeah. was for years. So how do you, how do you look at 4th of July? Do you, can you see like, yeah, America, you are 
you're you're doing some good work this year um, or you struggle with all of just the years and years and decades and decades or um, or do you just really love fireworks? Yeah, um, I've I've always thought of like Juneteenth is our 4th of July. Mm -hmm. Um, That's the day that feels like celebrating um, my family, friends, sort of all the all the things that I think uh, white Americans probably feel about 4th of July. 4th of July has always been like problematic to me. Mm -hmm. It's, it's nice to have a day off, you know, and it's nice to, if a friend has a boat, you know, like, and who doesn't love a backyard barbecue, but I I don't, I don't feel it's hard to, yeah, I'll put this year in in the context. and, And by the way, this year is, this year is unique in that we are having these conversations about, um, racism in America very publicly and openly, but it's, this year is not different in terms of, uh, the amount of racism we're experiencing. Right. So like, so this year, for example, I'm like, you want to tell me that the, the, you know, to be real, the, the cops who murdered Breonna Taylor are still cops and you want me to celebrate freedom. Mm-hmm. Like it's not going to happen. Um, I'm not going to get down with it. Like you want to tell me that we have, you know, I mean this in for what it's worth. The, the, we just, we need to reexamine so many things. And I think people sometimes feel defensive. Like this is like this country. It's it's so defensive. And I'm like, were you in the room? You know, in Philadelphia, did you sign that thing? Like, <laughs> if not, like, there's no reason to feel that attached to it. Like, this was. I'm like, what is you your created? Yeah, like, are you John Hancock? Like, what is happening? Like, why do you feel so strongly about this? And that we can't like acknowledge like this is not working actually for everyone. It may have been working for you and that's why you feel so tied to it, but it it hasn't been working for everyone. And so we need a, we need a redo. We need some, some qualifications. And so it's, it's like, I feel like so many conversations around racism get completely sidetracked by misunderstanding and not being on the same page as far as like definition of words. Like I was going to talk to my dad and I said the word white privilege and Mm -hmm. you can like, you can just imagine the classic response of like defensiveness that that elicits. And then we get sidetracked of like, no, 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 no. Let me like explain that, like what this means. And, you know, we just have this where I feel like white people jump to this idea that like I'm a good person so therefore racism can't exist in me and I have to make sure I defend that otherwise I might be a bad person and I have to kind of like we were talking about before I might have to reflect on my identity um and therefore if I'm a if I know I'm a good person and I go to this church and I'm a part of this community this community can't be systemic racism. So like, mm-hmm. how do you, 
because all of those are sidetracked, right? Like all of those are pulling away from like the point, like the actual Mm -hmm. conversation that happens. So how do you, do you have any tips for like jumping over or like walking through that quickly of like, yes, 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 yes. I know this, you know, like, yeah. Does that question make sense? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, th- I think so. So what I always say is racism is an individual. That's what we're talking about. Cause if it is, you get to say, I'm not racist. And now you're out of the conversation, which whatever, but we're talking about a system and a structure that has, by the way, impacted everyone. When I say we need to talk about racism in America, when I say we need to, uh, we need justice in America, I don't mean that just means for black people. That means we need healing and freedom for everyone, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we have all been impacted very differently, but we are existing in this system. And so, so white people who are like, I'm a good person, I wanna be a good person. Yes. And you know what's making that harder for you? Systemic racism. So help us dismantle it. And then we all get to live into the people we want to be. Um, but it, it is, it's a, it's a long conversation. And I have, um, I don't know this, but I, I had a, I have a course. I bought it. That we put, oh, great. Um, that and, river analogy. And it totally, uh-huh. like right away in the beginning, you have this river analogy where it's like, oh, okay, picture sitting by the thing. And I'm like, okay, I'm picturing it. And then it's like, uh-huh. I'm not trash. And I'm like, oh no, trash. Uh-huh. And like, as a three, I want to take action like really quickly. And so it's yeah. like, well, what do you do? Jump in the river. And I'm like, I just like pictured myself like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what yeah, I'll do. Like, and then all I'm the like, trash. go uphill. I'm like, yep. Oh, okay. Yeah. I see what you're doing. And I can see where I can get busy just picking up the trash in front of me. I know. And it, it takes work, but, but that's what, that's what I'm saying is like, we can't get mad at We We have to get rid of that, that defensiveness. And no one is, no one is saying, Hey, you're, you're the worst kind of person in the world. And I just want you to know that. Right. We're saying, Hey, you being a part of this country, you, you being here has put you on this moving sidewalk, has, has put you on this path. And I don't think it's the one you want to be on. So can you help us turn it around? Right. Can you, mm-hmm. um, can you take some action steps? Uh, because right. We all want to be, we all want to be free and, and that's not what it looks like. And, you know, people always, the declaration of independence. Okay. Let's just have a moment about let's just, it. Let's just, we see the soapbox and we're going to step on it for a Let's second. just, let's yeah, let's just do it. And, and here's the interesting thing is people are like, we need to make that true or we need to, uh, all men are created equal or whatever. And I'm like the, the writers who wrote that, who said all men are created equal. And they were talking about their experience in America. They were being honest. And that was true because for them, Black men were not men. They were three-fifths. Women were not men. People who didn't own land weren't considered men. And so, yeah, it was a true statement that all men were created equal in their eyes. And that meant white male landowners. Mm -hmm. And they believed that. And that was their qualification. So I think we need a full re-understanding of Okay, let's not talk about how do we make this document true? It's like, it was true. It was very true for them. That's not the question. The question is what new documents do we need that will be true for everyone, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, if no women, no people of color, there were like seven people in a room wrote something down, like it may need a touch up. 
and it may need some updates. And I don't know why someone wrote down, like if there was a, you're a, if I remember a chiropractor. Yep. Yes. If someone wrote a book of chiropractoring, yep, chiropractic. Adjusted. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. If someone wrote a, a, a book of chiropractic in 1776, and then you went to school in 2020, and they were like, here's everything you need to know yep. about Don't how to worry. be a chiropractor. Don't, Don't worry. worry. It doesn't. We don't need to change this. This is, they wrote it. It was perfect. Like you, you would be messing up people's backs. Like that's just. Well, and so what's interesting is, do you think, um, because around that time is also a time where I don't remember when like the Pope, do you know when like the Pope was declared infallible? Like it wasn't. Oh my gosh. I don't know. Yeah. It was like, am I? 17 Kirby would know he reads all that stuff mm-hmm. um but like that was a newish thing as yeah. like you know people started to learn and like science started happening and was like hold on we need to make some things like infallible so it was yeah. like the bible is can never be changed and so I wonder how much of that same feeling around like no no no, no. we can't question Mm-hmm. Um, because we don't question the Bible. We wouldn't make updates mm-hmm. to the Bible. Wouldn't dare. Wouldn't yeah. dare add books in that we chose not to put in. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> we would never circle back and ask no, why. No, because then the whole thing would explode. Um, so I wonder how much of that same feeling of fear of like, if we start talking or editing or adding or removing does the whole system or foundation is maybe a better like explode? Does everyone start questioning? Yeah. And, and what a fragile system, right? But what, what you're talking about is like, I mean, Christian, American, white, like those things got braided together and then we slept on that braid for like 400 years and now we can't even tell the difference. But what a fragile system if we cannot like, and this is what I, someone asked me recently, like about my, my faith and my spirituality now. And I'm like, I am obsessed. And because everything feels less fragile because I walked through most of my spiritual life, kind of afraid that if I looked behind like this certain curtain or lifted up this certain rock, like it was going to be like, God doesn't exist. Hurry, put it down. And I'm like, Oh no. You know, like there was that fear that, that it was so fragile. Right. And now that it's open up and I'm realizing the story just is meant to get bigger and it can get as big as God. And that is as big as you can get. So I don't, every new thing I'm like, bring it on. And my dad says something that always like messes me up. My dad's the best, most brilliant guy, but he was like white supremacy and Christianity and, and these things, they don't require they only require believers, not thinkers. So okay. to function, they only require believers, not thinkers. And it's so troubling, right? Because you see it. You don't need to, you just need to believe America is, is the greatest nation that ever was. You don't need to just, think critically. And we it. don't want you to think. We it's don't, like, and we're going to set it all up. Like you're not required. It's like, actually, we would prefer if you didn't. Yeah. 
like we're going to work around and, and with the church. Right. And, and again, I don't just want to shit on the church. No, that's gotta be people in there and there's whatever, but at the same time, we have set it up, Evangelical Church in America, set it up in a structure to remove the thinking, to say, this book is infallible. And yes, you have access to it. But as a pastor, I'll go ahead and read it and I'll tell you what it says. And if you want to know more of what it says, just come back every week and I'll do the heavy lifting. Mm-hmm. Right. And we have said the same thing, right, in, in our country with our government of like, I read the declaration. I know the laws. I, I police officers, Lord, that let them do the heavy lifting, and and you just enjoy enjoy this great this great place. And so I think, you know, I always say, I think the one thing that we need that can change the world truly is is critical thinking. Right? Yeah. So I mean, so do you think that we're with religion coming into everything right now, do you think the traditional model of just come back on next Sunday, I will do the heavy lifting for you. Um, I will interpret for you because you showed up, you automatically get your good, good little Christian, good person badge. Mm-hmm. Uh, there will be a place for you. Um, do you think that's contributed to the complacency about things like race and the LGBTQ rights because people can feel like good people, even if they didn't take action for justice. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, and, and people get to feel like, people get to feel like they are, they are neutral, which is what we talk about all the time. There's no neutral. There is no neutral. Like you are, if you are not for something, you're moving against something, there is no neutral. And so much of, of, of church and parts of our society have made it feel like you can be neutral. You can be in this, you can sit, uh, you can straddle the fence for the rest of your life and, and find the right, like, and this is, this is what kills me about like church sometimes is they just have these like answers that, that don't say anything, but they're talking and you're like, what's happening? I literally just, I asked you a, a, a question in a language we both speak. And yet I have no idea what, what you just said. Um, and so people get to feel like I, I'm just a, I'm just a person. I'm just a person who, who goes here and I, and I don't have, I don't have the responsibility of, that the pastor has. And I don't have the responsibility that our, our, our government has and I don't have these responsibilities. So then I'm, I actually don't have to do anything. Yeah. Right. Cause that, that's what, that's what we teach at church is like, yeah, we'll take the responsibility. We'll, we'll read, we'll pray, we'll get close enough to God so that we could just tell you what God wants for your life. And, and you don't have to carry that weight, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, that neutrality that you touched on, I would say is probably the number one thing that has blown up in my life since, um, since George Floyd and all of this. So like mm-hmm. I... I, I am not a person of color. Um, I am straight. And so specifically with, you know, we kind of have, Kirby and I have like, I don't want to call it like a personal crisis or anything like this, but we live in a really small town where there's not a lot of variation of non-denomination. And so we go to a church, it's got a really great like band and they like, you know, it's, it's cool. It's a cool church mm-hmm. and it's a denomination. It's Wesleyan. 
And so we've kind of, and I don't know how much you know, but like we've kind of, there've been sermons over the last few years that we've gone that are very not in alignment with our thinking on being gay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, they only do it like once a year and we just Mm -hmm. kind of like zone out and go on Instagram that day, you know, like, you know, like we're not going to like stand up and leave and like what, what other church would we go to? We don't have many options. And so we've been able to sit in this comfort of like, well, we're not gay. We don't really know what the answer is. We don't have to decide whether it's okay. Um, And we Mm -hmm. can just keep going to this church that we like even though they've kind of decided what the answer is. Um, And then with, I didn't even see it coming. So that was like pre-George Floyd. Yeah. Then this happened and like, I love it um, that it has awoken so much of a yearning for learning and like, okay, I'm late to the party. I'm here to work. Like, what do you need me to do? I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to like make this about me, but like, I'm just going to learn and try and help. Uh, And it's removed that neutrality of like, you know, like, oh shoot. You know, before it was like, oh shoot, well that sucks. But like, Mm -hmm. I'm not black. So like, hopefully, Mm -hmm. hopefully it gets figured out. Um, Yeah. Hopefully someone does something about that. Right. Yeah. Shoot. Shoot. Mm -hmm. That's, that's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you, I know this is like in your racism 101, but like, how do, how does someone like me move forward? Um, Like I said, I'm learning. Uh, First of all, can we go to the church, the church thing specifically, and then we can talk about the racism? Like, what do you, do we need to leave? Because like, I am all about actions and my actions now speak louder than my words. And so it's like, yeah, but we go to this church. Yeah. Yeah. I, hopefully this doesn't sound cryptic, but, and I'm just quoting my dad again, but he, he always said the first time I had like a team of people um, that I supervised and he always said, the best time to fire someone is the first time you think about it. Um, and he said that because he's like, you, there's a bunch of people who, you know, people on your team might make a mistake or you'll have tension, but it will never cross your mind. Like, Oh, I need to, I need to fire this person. Right. Like you, you, you navigate and you, you figure some out hard conversations. He said, but when that, the the best time to fire someone is the first time you think about it. Um, which means for you, if you're asking the question, you, you know, the answer, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was hard. And what I think keeps me staying is I don't believe that God cares where I go to church. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you said it in your prayer. Uh, well, okay. I shouldn't say that. I'm sure there's some really weird churches out there that like, no, no, but like, if yeah. I'm asking the question of like, God, like, you know, my heart, but is it okay that I show up here? Like, he's just like, God, Lauren, I'm everywhere. Like, yeah, you know, like you're worried about this one thing of whether you go to this one or that one. And like, um, and so that keeps me there. Um, so it's not so much about my relationship with God. It's my relationship with, you know, my friends who are gay. And like, if I right. have to, you know, explain, if I have to feel the, like explain, they're like, where do you go to church? And I go, Oh, I go here. And they're like, Oh, what denomination is that? And I'm like, it's, um, it's, it's Wesleyan, but, and I feel like I instantly have to start defending and it's like, yeah. 
you know, and that's that's the the thing. Is you're right. I don't I don't think God cares where you go to church. I I don't think God cares if you go to church, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but we're not talking about like God's. We're not hurting God's feelings, and and trying to try. We're not trying to negotiate our lives based on our. Am I hurting God's feelings or not? Or is God upset with me? Or is God happy with me? Or does God like this thing that I'm doing? Or is like God like this thing? Thing. In in my opinion, right? And this is this is my opinion. I think God has created this system in which we are meant to bring those things that were exemplified in the life of Jesus to our own reality. And those things that were exemplified in the life of Jesus did not have anything to do with pleasing or displeasing God. They had everything to do with bringing healing and wholeness and justice and peace to the communities around them. And so if your, your church experience you feel like is not doing that, right? Then and the question isn't, um, does God care about this? Because God, I don't think does. I think God would care about what what does your life look like in the communities around you in terms of bringing healing, wholeness, uh, transformation, justice, right? These things that, again, we're so exempt by the life of Jesus. And, and that's where, again, people, and to no fault of their own, because that's exactly how we're taught, but that's how we get like sort of this paralysis of analysis mm-hmm. and we get wrapped up in like, what does God think about this? Right. And the answer is probably nothing. <laughs> and that's so hard for like that just blew a bunch of people's mind of like how can you say that he thinks about yeah. every action I do like, yeah right like I mean I I went to a Christian college and there's a very similar Christian college like 40 miles away from it and I just remember thinking like I have to pick the right like there's mm-hmm. I, God there's has put and a wrong one yes and and one of them puts me quote unquote in the will of God and one of them puts me out. And if I make that wrong decision, and oh my God, you know, uh, when the reality is, it's like, I don't think God cares where I went to college, if I went to college, my grades in college, if I graduated, if I didn't, I hope God cares about my student loans because Jesus, but, <laughs> but what does my life actually look like? And is that having an impact anywhere around me? Is that literally creating opportunities of transformation, healing, wholeness, maturity, freedom? Like, is it like, I don't, you know, even in the, the stories of Jesus and, and you can say God perfectly orchestrated every single step that Jesus took. I don't know. We have the story of the Good Samaritan because that's the road Jesus happened to walk down. If Jesus would have gone left, we would have a story maybe about something else. Mm-hmm. But everywhere Jesus went, he was going to be about that work. So you know what I mean? Like easier life about it or not. And and I think we have to stop negotiating with like, is this going to please or displease a, a, a petty God I have in my mind? Yeah, I get that. Um, and then how do, how do you apply that? What you just said mm-hmm. to moving forward in like taking action in race and like being an ally and all that. Yeah. I mean, I think there's layers. Um, yeah, yeah, that's a that's an understatement. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little complicated. Is that what you're saying? It's a little complicated, and, and you know, I, I there's I have I have a love hate relationship, like most people do. I think with social media, mm. um, I love 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 it for for the accessibility that we have to each other. 
um, Twitter has revolutionized the way we, we see news, right? You can't have a newscaster now saying, this is what's happening. And then someone saying, actually, here's a video in real time. And this is what's happening. Mm-hmm. You know, now we, we have that, that power and it's, it's beautiful. Um, and then there are parts of it that, um, that I don't like. And, and one of those things is because being an ally, jumping in, doing action, you're, you're going to misstep. Oh, you yeah. just are. Mm-hmm. And, and I have misstepped and I have the first chapter in my book. And this was really important to me. The first chapter is about all of the, the times I've gotten it wrong. Um, because I just want to set the stage for like, you will mess up and I have, and I will again, and you will again. And, and can we be open to that being a learning process? And I think that has gotten harder with social media because instead of me calling you and being like, Hey girl, like I, I, I want to circle back to our conversation. And I feel like maybe this could have been said in a different way. Like instead of that, it's like, Lauren is the worst and she thinks she's not and she's not and everybody comment. <laughs> um, so well, so the, that misstep, makes it tough, the fear of the misstep is what I feel like just prevents so much action. Yes. Like I was not unaware that we had major fucking issues in this country mm-hmm. before George Floyd. This was finally where it was like, okay, I have to say something. Oh, but I'm going to get embarrassed. I'm going to say the wrong thing. Somebody's going to call me out and then I'm just going to go. I'm sorry. You're right. I'll just shut up. Um, How, you know, like, is it just being, I was listening to a podcast with Brene Brown and she had Austin Channing Brown on and uh, Brene said, you know, like I'm, I'm out there talking about <laughs> topics, all mm-hmm. sorts of topics with like yes. misstep. And God bless her. Yeah. And she goes like, I, and this has kind of been like my mantra since I heard it. Oh, she said like, I don't, I say, I came here to get it right, not to be right. And so mm-hmm. what I've been saying to like people who are like, I just don't want to like say the wrong thing. And it's like, okay, first of all, if this is what, like, if you're feeling encouraged to say something do it and don't let your shame like that's that's like some negative dark energy trying to like spiritual Mm -hmm. espionage trying to keep you from not stepping up into like truth and helping um but also you're putting yourself in a future where you get embarrassed and that your only response is that you have to defend and so like it took so much weight off my shoulders when i realized that okay future i can get called out I can choose not to be embarrassed and just learn and go, oh, okay, please tell me. And like, I can remove that ego Mm -hmm. and then it just allows this this lightness to like help us out and be like, yeah, you're gonna mess up. Exactly. And and the the thing is, is um, to connect our our conversations, right? The way we we feel about God sometimes and, and we say, I, I don't know how many times I did this in my life, right? I don't know what God wants me to do. So I'm going to do nothing mm-hmm. until I know exactly this is what God is saying to me. I'm going to do nothing. And in a certain way, I feel like we have made our, our own ego God, right. Mm-hmm. Of, of we are our fear of, of upsetting it, our fear of, of hurting its feelings, our fear of, of those things with our own ego. I said like, 
Well, I don't, if I know that, it, if I don't know that it's going to be absolutely exactly right, I'm just, I'm not going to do it. Yep. Right. And, and it's like, what? Come on. There's, and you're exactly right. Like you, you decide whether or not you feel embarrassed or shame or you let that stop you or you feel like a failure. Or I had a friend text me yesterday um, and used an acronym like that I obviously should have known. And I was like, Hey, I'm going to be honest. I have no idea what this means. <laughs> um, tell me more. Right. <laughs> you know? And then he was like, what? And I was like, what? I'm just going to be honest. Me. I don't know what that means. It was, like, it was like, you know, and now I know and look at that and I'm still standing and I'm okay. And I'm fine. Um, and so I, yeah, I think you just need to, to know, like, it's not going to be right. And it's not going to be perfect. And if you're getting in this work because you want gold stars and pats on the back, that's probably not going to happen, but you are more than welcome to join this, this journey. Right. Yep. I love it. Yeah. I could talk to you for hours, maybe one day when we can travel again, I you know. can come to Vera's Eau Claire's festival. It's just 45 yes. minutes from here. More than like that is on yeah. my bucket list. Yeah. It'll happen. Um, okay, so I will. You have probably another interview to get to. So tell people about the book, where they can get it, how they can pre-order. Yes, the book is called Worth It um, by me, Britt Barron. You can get it honestly anywhere you get your books. So Barnes and Noble, if you want to support indie books, um, Amazon, obviously, if you want it very fast. Um, and you can follow me on Instagram at Britt Barron or check me out at brittbarron.com. Awesome. Brett, thank you so, so, so much. I'm sorry that you had to wake up so early for Pacific time to do oh my gosh, no with no coffee. Go to Honestly, Starbucks could, and get yourself a I cappuccino. Could, Start drinking. I could, chat. I could talk forever. Now I remember why we sat out there at the hotel and I left. I was like, I could have talked to them forever. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's like, oh, shit. Wow. All right. What well, a great time. Thank you so, so much. And um, I can't wait to read your book. Yes. Okay, we'll talk soon. Talk soon. Bye. Hey, She Slayers. Are you looking to get your team off the phone and streamline your front desk so you can spend more time doing what you love? SCED has exactly what you're looking for. They will automate all your appointment reminders, missed appointment reminders, reactivation campaigns, allow you to have two-way texting with your patients, Plus, they have a very cool app that your patients are going to love. The app alone saves chiropractors tons of time because it gives patients the flexibility to move appointments to a time that works better for them. Don't worry, you won't lose control of your schedule because you'll have access to all the parameters that keep you still in control. Plus, there's overbook protection, so your schedule won't get out of hand. SCED was created by a chiropractor for chiropractors, so you can rest assured that you're getting the absolute best system for your office. Dr. Eric Kowalki is committed to the chiropractic mission and he works closely with his developers to always be innovative so that we have the best system available. If you're hesitant to switch to SCAD because you already use something else, let me tell you, it's worth every penny. Plus, mention that you heard about it on my podcast and they'll give you a discount. Seriously, it is a game changer. Don't wait. Don't wait.